The great Queen Victoria once on one occasion lifted up a Bible and said this is the secret of England's success. And I think there used to be a motto in Glasgow many years ago, let Glasgow flourish by the preaching of the word and by the praising of his name. Thank God tonight, friends, for this grand old book. It's been burned, it's been destroyed, it's been ridiculed, but it's still here. The word of the Lord abideth forever. And when the atheists and the skeptics and the agnostics are six feet under, the word of the Lord will still be here. And let's turn to the grand old book this evening. If you've got your Bible with you, and we're turning to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to read just a few verses. From verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. Now for the sake of any that weren't here last Sunday evening, may I briefly say that on that occasion we were comparing the first coming of the Lord with his second coming. And as a result of that comparison, we discovered that the Bible clearly teaches that the second coming of the Lord will be like the first coming. It will be personal. He's coming himself. He's not said in the substitute. He's coming himself. It will be personal. And then it will be literal, tangible, and then it will be visible. And those three things characterized his first coming, and they were characterized his second coming. And this evening, what we're going to do, we're going to have a look at some of the events that's going to happen when the Lord 
returns. Now this is a very difficult subject and uh, our little minds may not be able to fully comprehend it. But I do trust that as we have a look at it, we shall be able to understand something of it and leave this meeting glad we came because we have been thinking of this tremendous subject. And I draw your attention this evening to this portion in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And uh, we can notice uh, very quickly five things that arise from this portion. First of all, we have the return of the Lord. We have that in verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. And that tells us that the Lord has come. Now, when we think of the return of the Lord Jesus, we have to realize that no one knows exactly when he's going to come. Not even the angels in heaven know when he's going to come. And this may seem strange to you when I say that when our Lord Jesus was here upon earth, he himself did not know the date and the time of his coming. Now that may seem strange because that is truly said in the Gospel of Mark. Neither the angels nor the Son, but the Father only. With regard to that reference in Mark's Gospel, it could be that the emphasis is on his humanity. And we must remember that our Lord Jesus, in becoming a man, he subjected himself to the limitations of humanity. We ourselves, being mortal, we are not omniscient. That is to say, we don't know all things. And it could be that the emphasis there is on the humanity of the Lord Jesus as a man. In his humanity, he did not know the time of his coming. It was something that was exclusively the Father. Only the Father only. Now, there has been in times past certain sects, uh, we think of the Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, and if you read anything of their history, they have set times and dates in which they said the Lord is going to return. The dates came, and of course they were proved false. He did not return. So this is one of the great secrets that belong to God only. Only he knows the time in which the Lord Jesus is going to come. Now we might speculate, we're hoping it may be in our lifetime, but it may not be. It could be many years to come. But there again, it could be sooner than we think. 
The main thing is, of course, is to be ready when that time comes of his great second advent. But here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says, he's speaking of that time in which the Lord has arrived. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. With a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, whenever that time has come in God's economy, in God's plan and purpose, this is it. And God is never too early. He's never too late. He's always on time. And God is always working to a plan. He never works willy-nilly. He's always working to a plan. It was so in the first advent of the Lord. Because Galatians 4 says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son. And the time will come nationally, internationally, in which God will say to his son, My son, the time has come for you to return to earth. And oh, I would like to have a peep at that calendar that God has in heaven. But we can't do that. But it's certain, it's sure, and when the time comes, God will send his son. And Paul's describing that event and what's going to happen when he does come. And then secondly, we have also in verse 16, we have the resurrection of the dead. And the first thing that's going to happen when the Lord comes is this. That when the, the shout, the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, here's the first thing that's going to happen. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. They're going to get priority. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. Now, if you remember a few weeks ago when I was here, we had a little study on the, the intermediate state of the Christian between death and resurrection. Think of that. Those who are Christians and those that have died in Christ, they're not in soul sleep, but they are in the Lord's presence, in paradise, but they are without their body. It is just their soul and their spirit that is with the Lord. And when the Lord comes, something wonderful is going to take place for those who are the dead in Christ. The soul and the spirit that has been with the Lord in the intermediate state is going to be reunited with the new resurrection body. Now think of that dear friends. Isn't that absolutely fantastic? Because there are two classes of people. There are those that have died in Christ. 
And there are those that will be still living when the Lord comes. And we shall find ourselves either in one class or the other. If the Lord doesn't come in our lifetime, well then it stands the reason that we are going to die. We're going to be those who are dead in Christ. But of course, no doubt, you are hoping that you'll be in the other class. That you will be alive when the Lord returns the second time. But the first thing that happens when that trumpet sounds, the voice of the archangel is heard. God is going to perform a tremendous miracle. Now, of course, the atheists, the skeptics, they have a heyday. And they say, wait a minute, wait a minute. What planet do you live on? What nonsense are you talking about? Are you saying that uh, someone that has died and the body's decomposed over the years, lying in the, in the grave, uh, reduced to dust uh, and just bones, and those that have been uh, incinerated uh, in cremation, you're not going to say that God's going to uh, resurrect all that dust and bring it all together again. Utter nonsense. And they poo-poo the whole subject. And of course, to them, it presents a problem. How could this happen? It presents a problem to them. But of course, it doesn't present the problem to God. Because if God can bring nothing, if God can bring something out of nothing, which he did away back in creation... Because Genesis 1 verse 1 says, in the beginning, God created him. The word is bara. And that word bara is used only in connection with God. And it literally means, in the Hebrew, to, to bring, to, to make something out of nothing. What a demonstration of God's omnipotent power. When he had but to say, let there be light, and there was light. And this vast universe came into existence by his omnipotence. And the same God that did that, this would be no problem to God to bring about the resurrection of those that have died in Christ. Now, let me just... Um, give to you a lovely quotation from the pen of uh, Dr. Sidlow Baxter and he corrects uh, something that we might have in our minds for example he says if I'm not mistaken it is a revolt against another common mistake namely that when the second advent trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ are raised they will receive the very same bodies as were laid in the grave or otherwise disposed of. That grossly material idea may have become rice-fed through the incautious wording in some of our well-known Christian creeds, but it is not scriptural. Hear Paul again, foolish man, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body which is to be, but bear cattle, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. 
those wonderful bodies which are yet to be ours will be the same in structure as these present mortal bodies but they will be altogether different in texture instead of the perishable will be imperishability in bloom and beauty of never declining youth you see the distinction the resurrection body it will not be of the same structure that was laid in the grave or was cremated but it will be different in texture now let me apply this you will always be you and I will always be I and when I see you in your resurrection body it will be the same structure but your resurrection body will be of a different texture now let me go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 let me show you this 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Here's what Paul says in verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man Adam was made a living soul and the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Look at verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye of the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on in mortality. Notice, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power. There's a little insight as to what our resurrection bodies are going to be like if we die before the Lord returns. Now link that with what the Apostle Paul says to the Philippines. He says our citizenship is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who shall change our vile body now that's an unfortunate translation from the Greek literally in the Greek is who shall change the body of our humiliation that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body so your resurrection body my resurrection body every day before the Lord comes, is going to be fashioned 
like unto our Lord's resurrection body. But you remember Luke 24? The Lord appeared on that resurrection morning. Suddenly appeared. The disciples were scared stiff. They, they thought they were seeing a spirit. And the Lord said, Handle me and see. A spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Go ahead, handle me, touch me, feel me. In the words, he was tangible. And it says on another occasion, some of the women, they held him by the feet. And our bodies are going to be like his glorious resurrection body. What a demonstration of the mighty power of God. And oh, that resurrection body, no more sickness, no more pain, no more tiredness, no more sin, no more blemish, no more dying. And someone has even said that uh, we shall be like what we were like when we were 30 years or 33 years of age. Now that's what he thought. Can you think back to when you were 33 years of age? For some of you it's a long time ago. Well some have said well because the Lord Jesus he died when he was 33 years of age. Now that may not be so. But at least we shall enjoy eternal youth. And we shall never grow old. And that is why John Newton put it so beautifully in his great hymn, Amazing Grace, the last verse. When we have been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we have no less death to sing his praise than when we first begun. No more watches in eternity, no more calendars in eternity. We shall be in eternity. Time is gone think of it millions upon millions of God's people that have died and by this mighty act of power God raises them from the dead let me give you another lovely quotation from the pen of Dr. Baxter he says that the second coming of Christ, those who are now in the third heaven paradise will return to earth with him, at which time they will suddenly find themselves clothed with their resurrection bodies. There's the soul being reunited with the, the resurrection body. Simultaneously, Christians then alive on earth will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And they too will experience the instant ecstasy of physical metamorphosis unto undecaying youth. In our millions we shall meet the Lord of the air. And what is the first thing that will happen then? Listen to this. We shall all break into singing a mighty song which will echo round the, the shining skies 
And Paul has told us in advance what that glory song will be. 1 Corinthians 15, 54, 55. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Death may hold us for a time. It won't hold us forever. With that trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ rise first. But then... Here's the third thing that's going to happen when the Lord comes. There's going to be the transformation of the living saints. Because uh, it continues, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. There'll be those that will be living when that trumpet sounds. They will not have died. They'll be still living. And for those that will be living, then they are going to experience a tremendous change. One minute mortal, the next minute immortal. One minute subject to death, the next minute not subject to death. One minute having the old body with all sickness and weakness and tiredness and fatigue. And the next minute, a new resurrection body. Transformed and changed like unto his glorious body. And how long is it going to take the trickling of a die. Brother there, he blinked a few times. That's how it's going to take That's how soon, that's how powerful. Oh, isn't it wonderful? The mighty power of God that can do such a thing. So you've got the return of the Lord when he comes. You've got the resurrection of the dead in Christ. You've got the transformation of the living saints. And when those two things happen, then another thing takes place, and that is the, the rapture of the church. Because Paul continues, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The snatching away, the catching up. What a, what a sight that's going to be. Think of it. The dead raised. The living changed. And together, caught up, raptured, snatched away to meet the Lord in the air. Now there are those who believe that uh, there will be a period of time between the Lord coming for his church and the Lord coming with his church. There seem to be two stages of the second advent. He comes, first of all, for his church, and then a period of time, and then he returns with his church. And during the time between coming for and coming with his church, there are some prophetic students who believe that two important events is going to happen during that time. Some say seven years, it could be less, it could be more. There's going to be, first of all, what is known as the judgment seat of Christ. In which every Christian 
will have to stand before the big seat, the judgment seat of Christ and be examined and rewarded for their service during their pilgrimage. And then when that happens, then there's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see, the church is likened unto a bride. And our Lord Jesus is the bridegroom. And after the Bible seed has happened, then there's going to be this wonderful marriage spoken of in the book of the Revelation. My dear friends, let me tell you something. When this fellow started before you, when he got married, almost, I need my calculator, almost 53 years ago. Uh, no time off for good behaviour, Graham. You know, I actually heard a lovely suit. I couldn't afford to buy one, so I had to hire a lovely suit. And I really, I was looking wonderful. Lovely tie, a lovely shirt and everything. It looked so wonderful. But you know, nobody paid any attention to me. First time they had the, all the eyes were focused on Francis, the bride. Now, didn't she look well? Look at that lovely dress. Look at the hairstyle. Didn't she look beautiful? And poor Stanley, away in the background. And of course, after the wedding, I had to take the suit back. And it, was, it was just for her, you see. Ah, friends, what a difference is going to be in this this marriage. It won't be the church that will be the center of attraction, but the Lamb will have all the glory in Emmanuel's land. It won't be how the church looks. And I want to say, she'll she'll look wonderful because she'll be without spot and blemish or wrinkle or any such thing. But all eyes will be upon the bridegroom. The bride will take second place as we behold the bridegroom. And then, of course, after that happens, then the Lord's going to turn with his church. And then we're going to then see that our Lord Jesus is going to reign upon this earth for 1,000 glorious years. This world of ours is known democracy. It has known dictatorship, but it's never known theocracy. It will during those 30 years. Jesus shall reign where'er the sun doth a successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. What a day that will be when the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. What a day that will be when the government's upon his shoulder.
So there you have the return of the Lord, the resurrection of the dead in Christ, the transformation of the living saints, the rapture of the church. And then we have surely the rejoicing of the Christians. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. The war parting, we shall be forever with the Lord. I was just looking at some lovely hymns, and with these hymns I'll, I'll close. Just looking at some of the hymns. And I was greatly blessed by uh, two hymns by Fanny Crosby. The read actually the redemption of hymn, though. Let me read it to you. With the trump of the great archangel, its mighty tone shall sound, and the end the world proclaiming shall pierce the depths profound where the Son of Man shall come in his glory with all the saints on high what a shouting in the skies for the multitudes that rise changed in the twinkling of an eye when he comes in clouds descending and they who loved him here from their graves shall awake and praise him with joy and not with fear when the body and the soul are united and clothed no more to die what a shouting there will be when each other's face we see changed in the twinkling of an eye Oh, the seed that was sown in weakness shall then be raised in power, and the songs of the blood-bought millions shall hear that blissful hour when we gather safely home in the morning, and dark, dark, and the night's dark shadows fly. What a shouting on the shore will we meet to part the more changed in the twinkling of an eye. The chorus changed in the twinkling of an eye. The trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised, changed in the twinkling of an eye. Another one by, by Fanny Crosby. <coughs> All that bright and golden morning when the Son of Man shall come, and the radiance of his glory we shall see, when from every climbing nation he shall call his people home. What a gathering of the ransomed that will be. When the blessed who sleep in Jesus at his bedding shall arise from the silence of the grave and from the sea, and with bodies all celestial they shall meet him in the skies, what a gathering and rejoicing there will be. When our eyes behold the city with its many mansions bright, and its river calm and restful flowing free, when the friends that death has parted shall in bliss again unite. What a gathering and greeting there will be. Oh, the king is surely coming, and the time is drawing nigh, where the blessed day of promise we shall see. Then the changing in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and forever in his presence we shall be. But let me just close with another lovely hymn. And this is a lovely one by Mrs. Breck. Face to face with Christ my Saviour, face to face what will it be when with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ who died for me. Only faintly now I see him with the darkling veil between. But a blessed day is coming 
with his glory shall be seen. What rejoicing in his presence with our body's grief and pain. Where the crooked ways are straightened and the dark things shall be plain. Face to face, O blissful moment. Face to face to say no. Face to face with my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who loves me so. The chorus, face to face, shall I behold him. Far beyond the starry sky, face to face in all his glory, I shall see him. Bye and bye. That's your hope, dear Christian. That's my hope. This isn't fantasy. This is a fairy tale. This is going to happen in one group or the other. <laughs> now let me just uh, close. In the light of all this, friends, and I've only touched upon it very briefly, in the light of this, what should we do? Well, let me just say very quickly, we shall be looking for his coming. They tell me, are you looking for his coming? Am I looking for his coming? Paul says, looking for that blessed hope. Secondly, are we expecting his coming? Every day you get up, do you say, well, I, could it be today that he'll come? Are you expecting his coming? And then lastly, we should be working in the light of his coming. Now, here's something very interesting. After Paul exposed in 1 Corinthians 15 concerning the resurrection of the Lord, the resurrection of the believers, the great song of victory, how does he conclude? Down to earth. He says in the last verse, Therefore, in the light of all this, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, dear friends, it's not God's will for your mind and my mind to be full of eschatology and Bible prophecy full stop. It has to have an effect upon our lives. So that's looking for it, that's expected. And in the light of it, let's keep working for God. Let's keep serving him until we see him face to face. Until the story saved by sovereign grace. And if you're not a Christian tonight in the meeting, if that trouble was assured tonight, would you be ready? Would you be saved? Or would you be left behind? If that trumpet sounds at this moment, everyone in this meeting who are Christians would rise up. And those of you who are not Christians would still be remaining. In which group are you? Only you can answer that question. Not a Christian, when I come and get ready for this tremendous event that's going to happen in the future. Thank you for listening so patiently. Thanks, Graham.